Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the first Sunday in of around Epiphany. It is from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. I'll go ahead and read that in the English Standard Version. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. All right. Um, so, you know, maybe just a little bit of not only context of this particular text, but why is this the first Sunday in Epiphany? Um, how does this, how does this kind of deal with the revealing of God in the flesh during that season? Well, in Luke's gospel, it's really kind of the end of the birth narrative, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, uh, you know, what's going to happen, uh, next is, uh, Jesus is going to get baptized. So I think it serves that a very similar function in the church year as well. Mm-hmm. It sits between epiphany, so the coming of the wise men, and the baptism, which is the octave of epiphany. So this is the Sunday within between those two things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the next Sunday, then we're going to start getting this series of miracles and the more kind of, exp- uh, well, the, the signs, right, that reveal his divinity. Uh, I mean, there, this is a sort of revealing as well, but I think it's more of a bridge. It's also, it's, it's, it's got a chronological connection, um, and it's got a kind of theological development that we're we're moving from from Christmas to to the miracles, right? From the from the boy Jesus to his ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, um, it's uh, the next step. Yeah, I mean, there's no real miracle here uh, unless you're going to try to, which I don't think we should say you know, that Jesus' understanding of his mission is a miracle. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we should, I wouldn't use that language. Um, of course, I'm kind of fussy about the word. I don't, 
I don't like the word miracle used for things that can be explained naturally. So, and so in other words, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I am a legalist and a, I love to wrangle over words, but uh, so I don't like it when the people like, you know, somebody is, it seems unlikely that the person's going to be cured of cancer, but she is right. But she also undergoes all sorts of medical treatment and the doctors thought the medical treatment had a chance of working. And then the people say that was a miracle. And I'm like, no, no miracle. (laughs) (laughs) When Jesus walked on water, that was a miracle because that was, you know, uh, sort of suspending the normal laws of nature or, or speeding them up or whatever. So, so here, I mean, what the, the foreknowledge and the recognition that Jesus has of his purpose and his mission, I don't think is a miracle unless you're meaning it's just the actual miracle of the incarnation. In mm-hmm. fact, the emphasis in here, particularly at the end where he's subordinated to his parents and where he grows, right, changes mm-hmm. both in wisdom, which would be knowledge and how to apply it, and in height. I like that. He gets yeah. taller. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, so, and, but even, you know, as he's, I love too, how he's depicted in the, with the teachers that he is subordinated to them as well, right? That Mm -hmm. he sits in the midst of them. He's asking questions and he's responding. He's not teaching them. Mm -hmm. They're, They're amazed at the, at the kind of maturity that he has and the insight that he has to put these things together. But He's not yet the teacher. He's only twelve. So, yeah. so do you think? Anyway. Do you think that this really kind of sets the sage that he is absolutely human? Yeah, I think the emphasis here is on his humanity, not on his divinity. It's right. not a sign of his divinity. I mean, you know, I, you can't obviously separate those things completely because he is both. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, other than the fact that you do have this reference that he makes to being among his father's things. Or yeah, as it's yeah. translated, his father's house. Right, but that's. But I would. I don't think that's miraculous. I think he always is aware and knows who he is yeah. because he's. And and I would say that's not a. It's not so much a a characteristic of his divinity as it is of his being without sin. Yeah. Right. So he's not. We have trouble knowing who we are because we define ourselves by the wrong things, and we have mm. we're, we're kind of afflicted with uncertainty because of again, concern for the opinions of men and our own weaknesses and whatever, but he's, he's just freed from that. He's not promoting himself. So there's no false humility in him and there's no pride in him. It's just, of course, I'm my father's son. Where else would I be? You know? Yeah. It's it. So what you're saying is he knows exactly where he belongs, wherever he's at. He knows where he fits in. And he's always comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a, um, well, that, uh, th- that I think is instructive on how often you get St. Paul or, you know, St. Peter talking about finding your place, <laughs> you yeah. know, when he talks about subordination or, you know, get in proper order and so on right. and so forth. There's always this idea of, um, of finding where you've actually been put and placed and, and remain there like live there that's that's where you that's where you should identify um and you know i never really really kind of made the i i always knew it but i never really kind of made the connection out loud that look everywhere jesus is he knows who he is 
and he knows where he stands and how he stands in relation to everyone else. Yeah. And because and, he, and he totally clarity, trusts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's He great. trusts his father's goodness. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's never like, like we're always second guessing it. I mean, can you imagine being tried by Pilate? Wait a minute. This isn't going right. You know, uh, you know, he's, so he, he's not, in, he, he knows who he is in relation to Pilate. So he subordinates himself yeah. to him. He's right. But at the same time, right. He's not scared of Pilate or worried about Pilate, you know, not doing a good job. I yeah. mean, he, he's like, oh, well, God, my father made Pilate the governor. So. Of course, that's good. Even <laughs> though is, Pilate's doing a terrible job at it, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you know, you do want to be like Polycarp. You do want to be like um, Daniel or his three friends. You know, they they're thrown into the oven. He's like, well, you know, my God can save us, and even if he doesn't, yeah, there is a God. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, so that's. What does the feast of the Passover have to do with what's going on here? Does that help um, illuminate perhaps what they're talking about even when when he's in the temple with the uh, the rabbis and the teachers? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think I think it sets the whole thing right that he mm-hmm. recognizes himself as the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. So and and I think also this is the reason he stays. So you have this, right? So oh, we should also just say something, right? 12 years old, right? He's on the cusp of maturity, um, but but not quite there, right? He's presumably slightly prepubescent, right? Okay. Uh, you, have this, you have this that he's according to habit, right? Or custom that yeah. every, every year they go to the Passover and every year when the feast is completed, they leave, right? Yeah. Um, and this year he doesn't. And I, I think that there's a little bit of coloring in verse 43 with this, when the days were finished. Mm. <laughs> so uh, that, that Jesus remains because he realizes that he is the fulfillment of the Passover and there's no more need to keep having Passovers. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, it the, is there's a perf- yeah. not just finished, you know, completed, fulfilled till they right. uh, found, found their telos, found their goal. Yeah their end and yeah mm-hmm. and their perfection right and which of course you know this is what he'll say on the cross right and uh, so i think uh, you know why did he not stay the 11 other 11 years i i don't know but it's it seems to me that he's staying here because this is where it, right he's one of his father's things he's the passover lamb mm-hmm. this is this is what the what his whole purpose is to fulfill the temple this is he is fulfilling it at that moment and so, right, it's not the same. That what they did every year, we don't do anymore. Um, so there's that. There's that that shift, mm-hmm. right? It's and so it's it's. I mean, there's an eschatological kind of uh, connection there, but but also this connection to the cross. Uh, and I I wonder if in a way um, he's actually. I mean, just bear with me for a second. But if he's actually kind of wrong. In the sense that he thinks he thinks uh, he thinks this is it, right? Because the days are finished. I'm staying here. This is where I belong. This is what I'm supposed to do. But look, you're only twelve, and you haven't been baptized, and you haven't done this other stuff. And it's uh, I mean, he's he's not morally wrong, but I wonder if it's sort of like when when the dead rise, 
you know, on Good Friday and go into the city. Like oh, they think it's, they they think the it's over. They jump the gun. They're like, oh, look, this is the end, right? All the signs are being fulfilled. And well, yes, you're not wrong, but you're wrong, right? I mean, you, you've rightly understood the import and the significance of these things. And these are the signs of the end. At the same time, there's this delay because not everybody's been baptized. And I wonder if that's a similar kind of thing here, uh, that, that he is uh, responding to the Passover as the Passover lamb, and, and recognizing his place, but not quite recognizing that there's still a delay. Mm. I know that's pretty, I wouldn't preach about that. That, yeah, that would either. confuse people, but it I, really, but I still, I still think it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you think, um, I know this is kind of jumping ahead. Do you think verse 49, uh, among my father's things, do you, do you think that has only one reference like do you, do you, I mean do you, do you think that just means uh, the Father in heaven, or does it also mean because he goes back with them? Does it also mean that he must be uh, among hmm. Joseph's things? Um, I'm not saying it does, and I don't. I, it, I'm just curious because he does. He he leaves. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. I don't know. I never, can, I never thought of it as not meaning only his heavenly father. I never thought of it being a reference to Joseph. I mean, it also seems like it's a bit of a, a, a like it's a bit of a rebuke, right? Well, it is a rebuke, right? Yeah. So why she, were you looking I mean, she, bl- she blames him, and she also she blames him for their pain, like as though he caused their anxiety, uh-huh. right, by not being where he was supposed to be. Well, listen, and and then and. It, so it's like when she says, look, your father and I, right? And then he's like, my father, <laughs> um, there, there is a, you know what, she's actually in the wrong. I mean, she's speaking from pain, from, from her guilt and has become defensive. But it seems like he's, it seems to me like a contrast actually with Joseph. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, now that you point out that preceding verse where she says, your father and I, and he says, yeah, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I needed to be in among my father's things? Um, right. So, right. My father knew where I was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I am never outside of his hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what are those things in, in, I mean, it's translated as father's house. Is that fair? Or, or business in uh, business in King James and New King uh-huh. James. Yeah, I think it is fair, but I don't like it. I mean, it's not, I mean, so the problem is, of course, right, as you literally woodenly translated among my father's things, I, I would translate it that way because I think it is a, I think he, he does subordinate himself to, a, to his father completely in that he is just one of the things of the temple. Mm. And, uh, He's all of the things, but he's one of them also, right? So yeah. he's, I, I, I mean, most preeminently, he's the, he's the sacrifices of the temple, but he's also the high priest. He's also the incense. He's also, right, the temple itself. I mean, yeah, so but... he's everything and the purpose of the temple, but it's a, it's a very humble um, response mm-hmm. that I don't think to just say in my father's house has the same weight. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the ark has returned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To the temple. Right. 
where else? And 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 so right, to just say in my father's house, I guess like to be in my father's house, it, it sounds like you know he's going to his bedroom, or I mean he's got like a place there that's comfortable, mm-hmm. or you know in the palace, and that you know there. And I I don't I don't I don't read it yeah. that way, right? To be among yeah. my father's things is. I've I've tended to think to because it's always this like among my in my about my father's business or in my father's house um i've tended to to explain it as like metonymy right you know mm-hmm. when i say this dish is good i'm not actually eating the plate that the food is on um right. i'm talking about everything that's on the plate so um i've just tried to explain it. he's talking about everything that happens there everything that's yeah, well, in there and everything right. that is that is typically going on there. Um, I mean, I'm just curious, like, is he there during the morning and evening sacrifices and, and he's listening and asking questions and, you know, like what's going on besides the Passover sacrifices? I mean, I think he's been there for two and a half days. I think he's been there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, so I think business is a better translation than house. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's been there the whole time. He never, he never actually left there. So they went there for, you know, at the end of the Passover, they went there for the last whatever and they left and he just stayed. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he, I don't think, you know, he was like, you know, at his aunt's house for a night or something. (laughs) You got to wonder too, like, what were these, what were these teachers think? Like, who is this kid? What does he do? Okay. He's amazing. Um, we're amazed, but like, you know, where is he eating? Where is he sleeping? Is he, do you think he's fasting this whole time? I don't know, but I don't think he, I just, my suspicion is he never leaves the temple. So I don't know if they feed him. He probably, you know, he just curls up in a ball on the, in the corner somewhere and sleeps. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, but they don't, you know, do they take him home? I mean, here's, he's a kid, a 12 year old kid is, you know, not that big physically. Yeah. And, uh. Um, you know, pretty vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my I don't know. You know, my second oldest was twelve, and he was almost taller than me. So <laughs> that's true. They they can be they can be tall at twelve, but typically, typically that growth spurt takes is is a little later. Yeah, didn't know. You're right. You're right. Well, it's probably all of the GMOs that they're eating. Yeah, that's what you, that's what you read about, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Uh, so, so what's the? Is there a significance to the three days? Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is definitely a foreshadowing. You know that Jesus is going to be found alive and well on the third day when he was abandoned by those mm-hmm. who, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't betray him, but they fail him. Do you? Um, they're think not attentive that, to him. I'm just curious. Like, do you think that this? Um, this particular thing happened uh, on the same Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that oh. happens when he's actually crucified. <laughs> so they find him on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'd have to, I'd have to consult. Uh, oh, geez. Um, Kepler, Good luck. Johannes Kepler for that one. I know. But those guys all dispute that stuff. You know, they calculate. Well, I mean, well, you know, there's a lot of disputing about when, what, 
when is the Passover of uh, at Holy Week, right? Yeah, yeah. Was it was it Friday or was it Saturday or Thursday? I, I think you know. I think that um, uh, there's a book by Steinman where he works all this out. He looks at all the literature and he works it all out and says, "Look, it happened on Friday." <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, he works through all of it, and uh, it's I can't remember Abraham to Paul. I want to say. Well, I think Edersheim Edersheim makes the argument that if it's on Friday, the Passover is on Friday, as John says it is. Well, then then you get this um, because that's us because Friday night's the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. What happens is they have an extra Passover on Thursday Mm. for. If I remember this correctly, I think I am because of that. Because of that Passover thing, that complicates the celebration. What you can do, and how it's observed. Mm-hmm. So, so there could be he, Edersheim. I think makes this argument. There could be two Passovers. Hmm. So you could have it Thursday and Friday. Like like Thursday is like for the professional church workers or something. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly who's who's imp, impacted by this, but that. Uh, I thought that was, I remember reading that years ago and going, huh, it, it just sounds, it just sounds complicated enough to be convincing, right? Like, I mean, just like, we're, sounds we're like recording something the this. Jews would do. What well, sounds like something we would do. I mean, we, we all do. I, I, you hear this all that people talk this time all, all the time. When is your Christmas? Hey, look, buddy, my Christmas is December 25th. I didn't know we got to choose our own. No, right. That's not what we mean. Uh, what we mean is like, when is your when's your family going to have its dinner and open presents? Right. Yeah. And, and almost actually no, none of us just gets away with doing that once on Christmas Eve or Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Right. We always have it, all these family obligations and the guy who's a police officer or a nurse. Or, right. Yeah. So, I mean, to make, to make, well, what are we going to do about the nurses? When are they going to have Passover? I, I can see this being anyway. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't know the book. I'll have to look into the book by Steinman before Easter, mm-hmm. but I doubt I can plow through it because I just that kind of thing does not. I I just read the conclusion. <laughs> it is I. One thing I love about reading Adersheim is he um, <laughs> when he discusses all the sacrifices. I mean, particularly during Passover, he just talks about how much blood there is. He's just always <laughs> talking about. And there were like five billion lambs slain, and all the blood was running here and there and everywhere. And I just—he just counts up all of the all of the various sacrifices. It's great. I love it. Yeah. I so when I was first in the ministry, I didn't have a lot of resources. I had, but I had a copy of Luther's works and I had a copy of the Life and Times of the Messiah. So I read. I'm so glad I did this in hindsight, but it was not deliberate. I read the Genesis lectures and I read Edersheim. That's what I read the first five years of the ministry. It's all I oh. read practically. And um, so both of those, well, I mean, and I just slopped into the Genesis lectures. Nobody told me how brilliant they were or where they fit in the, you know, the body of Luther's works. Mm-hmm. I just was teaching, you know, I was brand new to the ministry and well, let's do a Bible study on Genesis. I didn't have a commentary on Genesis. Yeah. So all I had was Luther's work. So I just read it without real. And of course, and I loved it, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't recognize its place till later. But then, and then for, uh, 
you know, for the Gospels, I was just reading Edersheim, not just, but largely. And I know Edersheim's wonderful. Yeah. He's not Lutheran, obviously. No. But but anyway. But he does bring this whole, um, like, he brings an understanding to the Old Testament and particularly the ritual that is very helpful. It's kind of like what Kleine did for Leviticus. I thought Edersheim was ethnically a Jew for the longest time. I didn't realize. I don't know where I got the idea. I guess I just made it up. Uh, I I thought he was a convert to Christianity. He's not. I did too. He's not. I mean, obviously he's a Christian. Yeah. But but, uh, yeah, he he, he just was interested. He's just a scholar, was interested in in England. Mm -hmm. So anyway. All right. Well, let's get back to the text. Um, (laughs) Okay. uh, So what does Jesus mean when he says, why were you looking for me? Is he just simply drawing attention to the next question? Did you not know? Or is he is this a rebuke to say you kind of fell down on the job? I, I think it's definitely a rebuke. Um okay. that they weren't attentive. And I mean, right, I mean it's kinda like well, because she's just said, right, you caused us pain by being uh, you know, a a negligent child, right? Not paying attention to us the way you should have. Right. Oh, okay. And of course, so it's, she, it's, it's, she accuses him of sin. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then he's like, well, really? Why, why were you looking for me again? Because you <laughs> lost me. Right. This, uh, I think, um, and you should have known, right, where I was going to be because you know what this, you know what I'm about. And yes, I'm your son and I will subordinate myself to you at the same time. Right. I am the Messiah and, there's a clear hierarchy here of what's going mm-hmm. on and we're not going to forget about, I'm not going to forget about it. So yeah, yeah I think uh, when he says, why, why did you seek me? It's definitely a, a response to her accusation. Mm-hmm. It's easy to imagine that he was easy to neglect, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he was just so attentive and so obedient. So, you yeah. know, she didn't have to tell him something twice. She didn't even have to tell him to do certain things because he could just, look and see what she needed and anticipate because he was that loving. Um, it's not, um, it's not hard for me to imagine why his brothers didn't like him. Um, he, he must've been, he must've been a constant source of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, comparison that you just couldn't live up to in a way. Yeah. Not that he of course engaged in that, but, but I yeah. mean, other people were bound to. Uh, so, well, I mean, it, I've always kind of, been curious too in comparing Jesus and his relationship with his brothers and the relationship between Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Cain is named because I've acquired the man, the Lord. Um, and Abel's name means vanity. Like, this is all like worthlessness, breathlessness. So, every time Abel was called to supper, he was hearing that, you know, your birth was in vain because we already got the Messiah. We already got the one. Um, and yet it's Abel who is the the one who causes jealousy in Cain. Um, so because of the faithfulness aspect. Right. Um, so is there, I mean, so is there any correlation that even, even though you have someone who is um, submissive, obedient, uh, who subordinates themselves in, in, in the best possible way, 
why is it that that causes such angst in others? Is it simply because it points out in a very poignant way our own failures? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it's the, it's the, I, I mean, I think it's just the kind of communist principle, right? That you just, no one can excel because it makes the rest of us look bad or kind of, you know, like union politics gone deeply awry, mm-hmm. you know, don't be too productive because then everybody will have to work hard. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that's scale. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, right. You know, cause the ones who, you know, the guys who work hard are, <laughs> You know, rewarded in the same scale. way. Yeah. Um, or, you know, <laughs> the, the whole thing, you know, what do they call you when you get D's in class, pastor? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, you could also think of the, the, par- uh, the prodigal son, right? The older brother. I mean, there's lots of this. And I mean, you wouldn't have to even go to the Bible. You could actually just look at your own life. <laughs> And your own jealousies and resentments, you know, that uh, I I like to make a big stink about the difference between the words envy and jealousy, right? So uh, jealousy is, is, uh, uh, wait a minute, how's this go? Well, jealousy is more generic. It's schadenfreude, right? Schadenfreude is happy at someone else's sadness, but uh, which is pretty gross. But then envy is really sadness at someone else's happiness, Mm. And I think, you know, that's so to be sad because someone else is happy, to be sad because someone else is successful, that is that is really a gross instinct that just jumps up in us really yeah. quickly. And I think you know, social media has in a way, you know, this whole, uh, you know, right, I'm seeing what other people, this happened to them, it cost me nothing, it hurt mm-hmm. me nothing, but I'm sad about it because, yeah, that that's that's really wicked, yeah. I mean, both Schadenfreude and NVR, but there's there's just that kind of brokenness in us that only thinks about ourselves yeah. and really really believes that if anybody else gets ahead, it's you know it's to my detriment. Yeah, I try to avoid using jeal- the word jealous in a negative way because of God. Yeah, because being jealous. Yeah, because th- there is uh, you know obviously a real positive aspect to ha- having jealousy. You know, that yeah. you are protective of that which belongs to you. Um, well, and you're, you're protective because you believe it's valuable. Yes, exactly. And yeah. um, and so I try to, when I'm speaking of jealousy in the negative sense, I always try to use envy. Yeah. Well, you can use schadenfreude too, because it's a, the other aspect of it. It's closely related, I mm-hmm. think. But And it, plus, it's fun to say. The, um, the, <laughs> Makes you sound the, smart. I, I, yeah, I, well, you have, of course, God being jealous, but, but also I, I talk in this, like when I talk to, to couples, I do talk about the goodness of that, that actually there should be some jealousy. Um, and of course it can get yeah, right. It can, it can turn into manipulation and anxiety and all sorts of things. But look, if you don't think that other, if you're like, well, nobody else would want my wife, so I'm not worried about it. I mean, that's kind of a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think also the same thing for fathers with their daughters. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you can't wear that (laughs) or, you know, any number of things. If we had a little more of that jealousy that in a positive Mm -hmm. way, uh, the world would be a better place. (laughs) Let me just say that. Yeah, right. It's right. So, 
but jealousy can very quickly turn into simply, um, yeah, you know, I don't think that's our pride, problem. control. <laughs> well, that happens too. I mean, for sure, manipulation. You know, what, what, whatever. So, yeah, false accusations. Uh, it's a problem. Okay. <laughs> This, these are real problems. These are not imaginary problems. I, I'm not saying they're imaginary. I just don't think that it is the primary thing that we face right now. Uh, I, I, it's probably it, it. I think it's being faced, or maybe not being faced, but it's it's happening in lots of places. I think it's it is dominant in society. I think probably it's not the dominant reality amongst like active churchgoers. Mm-hmm. But okay. I do think that with like fringe churchgoers, um, it actually is pretty common. Okay. Um, that you know, it, well, it, I mean, it, it's just you've been around one of the kind of ways. So it's I just I it's just one of the ways that I have seen marriages break or be dysfunctional regularly. So yeah. because there's too my, much jealousy. But, but well, what happens is it's I mean yeah well the jealousy has become this manipulative, controlling, kind of uh, demanding sort of thing. Mm. So, uh, and then it, you know, and then it creates this kind of, and it's all, I mean, it's just so silly in a way, but it all just kind of comes down in many ways, just to eighth commandment stuff, right? To speak well of one another, to think well of one another. And, you know, when we start to imagine bad motives in our spouse and assign those to, to her, uh, we're in big trouble. And that's what, that's what jealousy kind of is, right? It's not just about, you know, other men are finding her attractive, but she's flirting with them. She enjoys that attention. She's right. And, and so well, now sometimes that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but, uh, uh and, and I mean, I mean in that's almost a, 70% that's of the cases. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it still needs to be, it, it needs to be uh, a, a expressed and talked about in a way that is actually, you know, supportive and loving mm-hmm. and kind. And so, you, if, I mean, if this is the case, look, this guy, this guy is paying attention to you in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, and then if, I mean, if the, if the immediate follow-up is, and you love it, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, so it, it has to be talked about in a way that's actually you know, leading, teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. She needs to then respond to the fact that this is difficult for you to to see or whatever, and she needs to take pains to keep it from happening. But yeah. if it's but if you're accusing her of, you know, she's gonna she's gonna see that as a rightly as, you know, kind of a charge of unfaithfulness and and then, you know, then the other side of that is, you know, are you paying attention is he paying attention to her? Why isn't he paying attention to her like that? The only fi- time he finds her attractive is when he thinks other people find her attractive, kind of. Mm. So there's a lot of mess there. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's um, – all right. So back to the text, I guess. Uh, Please. Yeah. The mm. – we have a textual thing in verse uh, – where was it? Where Joseph and his mother – there it is, verse 43 – so the the received text or whatever has Joseph and his mother, but the but the critical text has his parents. Oh, I kind of think maybe his parents here is better. Um, 
I don't know that I can't judge that textual criticism stuff. I, I don't know enough about it, but I do get this. I, I, I can understand the, the philosophy in this one, if, if this is in case it, where parents is a more difficult reading and where kind of pious Christians might want to emphasize the divine origin and the virgin birth by, you know, not, but by not calling Joseph his parent, um, I think I've been on this kick lately about really defending the Joseph as the father. I um, because I don't think God endorses single mothers, and I think that the betrothal actually is significant. Mm-hmm. That 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 the uh, the pregnancy is not announced, and and the, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit does not come before the betrothal. It comes before, and betrothal is a, a legal. Um, reality at that time that is that is not parallel to engagements in our society. Right. So just get over that German ancestry Lutherans, right? When the, when when Walter talks about right uh, breaking off an engagement is tantamount to divorce or engagement is tantamount to marriage, whatever he says, false. It's not true in America today. Um, but he's basing that you know on kind of German laws and and and. You know, also the laws, uh, both in uh, in Judah, both according to the uh, religious law and according to the civil law, that when you're betrothed, you're you've got the legal requirements of marriage, even though it hasn't been consummated, and and you're not fully man and wife. So so anyway, the, the, all that to say that God actually places the Messiah into a family, not to a single mother, and that Joseph that the Messiah needs a father and Mary needs a mother, needs a husband to yeah. raise the Messiah. So, so, you know, this, this whole thing of adoption, me, making real children. Right. And even though, I mean, we're going to have this little, uh, you know, emphasis in 48 and 49. So I'm, so I'm, I'm good with that reading of parents. And I, I wonder if actually that wouldn't be helpful in this case. And I think it's something we can, we can talk about, um, you know, there is this weird modern idea that somehow biology mm-hmm. matter. So I just, from the Bible's point of view, right? Bio- they don't care about biology at all. We're, we're the we're the true Israel. We're the sons of Abraham, mm-hmm. right? Well, Esau, I mean, they, they care that he's from the line of David. They do care about that, but uh, but you know, he's from the line of David through Joseph in Matthew and Mary in, Wait, in, 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 Luke. in Luke. I think, yeah. So Luke, see, Luke cares about cares about the blood Matthew cares about the legality mm-hmm. the the the, lega- the 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 legality is more significant than blood I think what what matters is right we're the sons of Abraham it doesn't matter we, we could, we're adopted into that family grafted in you know from uh, Romans uh, what is that 14 the you know but we that's real that's yeah. that's the absolute true thing and who cares what stick the ground you know so what were you started? Yeah. Uh, so well, I mean, but if you, I mean, if you look at, you know, so the Jews are, at, if Matthew is arguing to the Jews, it makes sense that he would look at the legality. Yeah. Right. Um, right. But you know, if Luke's speaking to the Greeks, you know, maybe he wants to emphasize the blood. Right. No, I think yeah. that's right. But I think we have become. I think that either way, modern, it they're both. 
I know, but I think we are, we, because of our sort of post-enlightenment kind of, you know, science mind, DNA loving kind of stuff, mm. we care about that kind, that side of it, I think, too much and way too much. Okay. And we need to, look, we wouldn't even be, if it wasn't, if adoption didn't make real children, we're not real children. Nobody is. God sets the solitary into families. I mean, all that stuff. And right. To, to really be a son of God is to be adopted. Mm-hmm. Nobody, God doesn't care. I mean, that's the whole thing in uh, right Romans nine. You know, God doesn't care what your genealogy is in terms of your blood. He cares about faith. So anyway, I like parents mm-hmm. <laughs> in uh, verse forty three. Yeah, and uh, I mean, talk more about what you mean by he doesn't care. Because he, I mean, it does spend a, quite a bit of time talking about the nations in heaven and the distinctions and the uniqueness. So it's like he does care about what makes each um, each ethne, right, each nation distinct. Yeah, but that's like talking about your children that one of them one of them has blonde hair and one of them has black hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's he he loves them in their peculiarities. You don't okay. wish that your black haired daughter had blonde hair. You love her just like she is. Okay. So you love the, you love the peculiarities and and her strengths and her and you know her whatever. But but that's not what makes her your daughter. You're not like yeah, my daughters have to have black hair. <laughs> right, so that when he's talking about the nations, he's rejoicing in the peculiarities and the virtues and the, the strengths of the individuals and their histories. But he's not he's not picking one like I like my blonde daughters better than my black haired daughters. Right, that I think that's sense. all that is. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's good clarity. Because um, I mean, some people would hear, "What do you mean he doesn't care?" He talks about this stuff all the time. That's yeah, all yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. He um, counts every hair on the head, so he cares about the details, but right. Yeah. All right, go on. All right. So we talked about the three days. Um, why are they amazed, the teachers? Yeah, this is great. This is great. I love this. This is maybe the most important passage, actually, I think. the uh, Right. They're astonished at his understanding. And I wouldn't... So I... This is a apocrinomai, which you know literally means to judge to judge again, and and it has to do with right answering. But here it it, it doesn't mean answering questions. I, I would translate this as uh, replying, right? So he's or wait a minute, I'm in the wrong place. I jumped ahead of myself, didn't I? Synesis is list- the understanding. Yeah, he's understanding. Synesis. Right. Well, yeah, right. Which is is a different. Where I looked the, up the etymology of the English word synthesis, and it's it's not the same, but they are sort of related. So you've got oh, understanding to, and asking. Synthesis questions. is to see together, isn't it? Um, no, it's to stand. No, it's it said it was to stand together. It's it's tithomy, to stand that two things together. Okay. Put together, yeah. Place together. There you go. Yeah. So it's the it was the next one that I was the next verse. It's so or the let's see. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. They're astounding at his understanding and his answers. So his right his answers there are not. He's not. They're not like quizzing him. You know which books did Moses write, and he's telling them the answers. Or they're not asking him what's the Messiah going to be like, and then he teaches them. 
it's it's rather that he's replying to them, right? So to, to, uh, he's conversing with them, but it's in a subordinate position is the point. I think when it um, that when they're astonished at his understanding and answers, I, at least for me, I hear this word answer in that context, and it sounds to me like they're asking him questions and he's giving these brilliant theological responses. Like they're asking him, you know, like why was teaching. God silent? Yeah. Like he's teaching and, and he's, I don't, he's not teaching. He's just, they're just, they're just amazed at what a, what an insightful student he is that he's able to think analytically that he is synthesizing the scriptures that he sees the kind of complete picture, but he's looking to them to teach. Uh, which is amazing, right? That he's mm-hmm. that he submits to that, that he recognizes their authority, and that they actually have wisdom uh, in their office given by God to bestow upon him. Mm-hmm. And he is at that kind of amazing age, uh, you know, where where really this this happens in such an interesting way, right? That children at, at, at this time in life are particularly, right, they're just learning to think analytically is what it comes down to. Okay. Right. You're able to have a really meaningful conversation about deep things with 12-year-olds because Mm -hmm. they can make analogies, they can recognize, they can make comparisons, they can recognize data and situations from other things that they know and apply it to this. Right, they're really. This is really what I would say is real thinking. Um, they're able. They're able if they're taught. I mean, obviously, a lot of twelve-year-olds aren't because they're not taught any of this. But but they are. They have the capacity for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're actually able to read deeply and carefully. Yeah. So, and these, of course, these, by the way, I mean, these are the skills that, from my perspective, are absolutely the most significant and essential for civilization and for full humanity and for theology, and precisely the thing that is just so devastatingly mm-hmm. unusual in our... I mean, screens have just destroyed this. Yeah. Is, I mean, so is there any um, significance to the word for they were amazed here? Because it's not thomazo. I, and I know. It's, we get our word ecstasy from it, and usually, <laughs> not usually, but often in the New Testament, it's used for like when they're out of their mind, like psychic derangement. Right. Or right. I don't that, think so. You don't think there's and any there, significance? I don't, and no. And then you're going to get Joseph and uh, uh, Mary are going to, they're going to get, they're amazed with a different word. Isn't it splagnizomai? Or not splagnizomai, that's compassion. It's, uh, I'm going to look at, what verse was that? 48. So it's a, it's a synonym. Um I, I don't um, think there's any. You mean when they were astonished in verse forty-eight? Yeah, yeah, there it is. Ex eplag isan, which mm, overwhelmed. Yeah, ek placemai. So there are two, and this is this word here is uh, existami, right? Which is ecstasy. I think they're just synonyms for amazed, astonished, impressed. I don't think I wouldn't make too much of them. Okay. I mean, how would you? How what what? I, I, well, I don't, usually it incorporates the, you know, this is Saint, what St. Saint Paul talks about in Second Corinthians when he's going through his big list, you know, when he's out of, in the third heaven, or this is when um, the uh, demon-possessed man, they say, you know, he is out of his mind. 
he this word is used or being um so i'm just it's like what's the what would the what could the significance be i mean i just don't see anything in the context that really that, that would give give me the sense that this means other th- any anything other than you know surprised astonished you know wondering i i I don't see. I certainly don't see anything negative in it, um, mm-hmm. or anything. I guess that that significant about any nuance, other than they're just. I mean, I like I like the translation "amazed" or "astonished." Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that conveys it. I, I wouldn't translate it. All who heard of him were out of their mind, you know. No, or you know, out of their bodies. Well, I or, guess you know. I just curious. You know, status. There's some like you know Greek understanding of this within mm. kind of the Greek literature that is um, indicative of this is divine or something like that. Uh, you know, is this are these the words used of Zeus and mm. uh, or the uh, um, the oracles or things like that that would indicate we're dealing with the divine here? not just something ordinary. Does that make sense? It does. But I I think they are dealing with something ordinary. I mean, I think his understanding and (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think his understanding and his answers are impressive. Right. And, and create a certain amount of awe, but I I don't think they're to the point of miraculous, right? He's not speaking in unlearned languages. He's not speaking, you know, he's not revealing, secrets or, you know, the future that hasn't been shown, you know, he's not, he's just, he's just an incredibly good student. And, and most of that being a a good student doesn't have to do with his intellectual abilities. It's a moral statement because he's actually just doing the work. He's, he's attentive Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, again, you know, this, what, what would it be like to be, to be around somebody who just doesn't sin? I mean, (laughs) That in of itself is just got to be an astonishing. Well, you know my thing. wife, Dave. That <laughs> yeah, was just. I was just going to say, right? Other than Lauren, who who is there that doesn't sing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, I just it just was a question. I I expected it to be Thamazo. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, or at least to use the same word twice, or, or you know the. Yeah. You know, well, the, I mean, the, the one is the, overwhelmed in a negative sense. Overwhelmed. Right. So that it's, they were overwhelmed with the, the difficulty that was coming. Isn't this the same thing that, oh, we just talked about this uh, in, in Luke, later in Luke, I think it was Advent 2, um, when they're overwhelmed and overcome by the distress of the nations and, and, and things oh. like that. I think that's the same word. That they are distressed. That they are um, really. Well, let's look that, that is up. Is that Luke twenty-one? I don't know. I'm I'm uh, trying to remember. Oh, here it is. Verse twenty-five. Right there will be signs. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. You think it's there? Twenty. Yeah, it's, twenty-one. I, Twenty-six. Like twenty-five through. Um, yeah, it's. I don't see that word. Okay, I thought this was the. I thought we just talked about this. 
where it was being overcome and well i mean uh yeah i mean that that's not in in this particular but i wonder if there's a let's see here mine's heart's failing them yeah it, it oh, could well. have been in trinity too uh i mean trinity also it could have been somewhere in the season and somewhere in the season but i definitely remember having a conversation with you about hmm. this the sense of this word is being overcome with emotion maybe um maybe it was even um you're talking about the the ek place am i yeah being overcome yeah i just i i don't i don't didn't know that had a negative connotation i just thought it meant be amazed but i i mean i don't i don't know anything about it so yeah that maybe it was well sometimes we have uh fruitless ideas like that you might be right but i just don't yeah don't have time i can't to i can't remember off the top of my head <laughs> i'd have to i'd have to listen to them all and i don't want to do that um right <laughs> uh so all right so th- there you don't think there's anything significant about it i don't okay so i mean it's significant that they're amazed that that he's impressive but Mm-hmm. So that we already talked about the father's thing stuff. Um, you do have this that uh, uh, kind of interesting. They're amazed by his understanding. That's a noun. But then in um, Mary and Joseph don't understand what Jesus has said to them uh, mm-hmm. is the verb form of that that word, right? So he has an ability to think that in a way that they don't seem to. I, I don't like in uh, verse 51, what was the How translation? How did they not get it? That's what I don't get. The, if this makes sense oh, to me, what what really? do they not understand? Uh, so I think understanding has to do with putting all of it together, right? So so they understand. I mean, obviously they understand the words that he says, and they I think even understand the claim that he's making um, that you know he's one of his father's things, or that this is where he belongs. But what they but what they haven't done is they haven't put this they haven't put this together with the rest of the old Testament or even with the prophecies, you know, mm. and, uh, that they'd heard like from, uh, um, Elizabeth and, uh, you know, Simeon and likes. So they just haven't put it all together. I think that, you know, they've had 12 relative, they were in exile for part of that, but they've had 12 relatively peaceful years where nobody's trying to kill Jesus and he's a pretty good boy. And so I think they become sort of complacent which is part of the reason they they neglect him. And then, you know, when this is, you know, now he's making this claim and they understand it. I mean, they know what he's saying, but they just can't quite perceive the reality of this and the sword that's going to come and pierce their own hearts. So So it's probably more of a moral. You think this is a, you know, kind of like we know intellectually that um, a student is not above his teacher and that we should expect the world not to love us. And yet we don't always put it together when they don't, that this is right. what it means to be a Christian. Sure. That or, kind of or thing. Even that, I think that's part of it. I think also, also it's, um, you know, it's sort of like when you get the cancer diagnosis and the doctor says you got nine months to live mm-hmm. and you think, no, I'm going to fight this. <laughs> Um, is the, I mean, you know, fighting isn't, fight isn't even the right actual verb, but, but anyway, but that's, I'm going to delay, but, but, but there is this sort of like kind of 
unwillingness to comprehend or to face our own mortality mm. and our own weaknesses. And, you know, she's just come out of this defensive thing, right? I mean, she's feeling guilty and she responds and in, in, in a lashes out a bit. And, you know, I just think they're probably not spiritually and mentally prepared enough. They need time to absorb this. Uh, as we all do, right? I, I mean, my at least my experience, not just pers- my own personal experience with faith, but my experience of evangelism and of people coming to the faith is that it's always slow. I, I haven't had any Damascus Road events where I say, Jesus loves you, and the person, boom, believes. Uh, it seems like it's like long conversations over months, if not years, and then, and then afterwards, you're like, when did you become a believer? And the guy's like, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, I don't, I, it wasn't, it wasn't an on off switch, you know, it seems yeah. like, um, so, I mean, Mary pondering these words in her heart, that's the life of faith, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and, you so, know, she's trying to so come to kind of like coming to, coming to the realization that your kids will actually leave the house, get married and have their own kids. <laughs> yeah. Or come to the realization that you can't make them behave. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's, yeah. it's kind of like, because part of it's like facing a hard truth, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and a kind of an unwillingness to, you know, it, maybe it's sort of like, like, I'm so mad at these people that adults that, that uh, believe in Santa Claus and try to get children to believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> And I just, I just can't, I, and they, you know, they're supposed to be, Chris, I just can't even understand it. I mean, I, it, right. But you know what I'm talking about? Well, this is they're just Fritz. absolutely. <laughs> he loves Santa Claus. <laughs> Does he? I think so. Oh my God. Well, he hopefully doesn't try to, I mean, but like this insistence that like Santa Claus is good, you know, and that believing in Santa Claus is good. Oh. It's just like, you know, yeah, I just I, can't. Do, it, do we have a lot? Is that a, a, a problem? Is that a deep, big deal? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. I've well, never encountered it with like an insistence, you know? I mean. Oh, well, you get, well, you, you're not pushing the right buttons. <laughs> you could, you could find it, I bet. Do you have a, you have a, just go ahead and say at some Advent midweek service that Santa Claus isn't real oh. and that children, children I've shouldn't believe in before. Have you? Yeah, okay. I, I think Good. everyone like they should know it. But I've I've caught I've caught a lot of flack for that over the years. I there there's a weird kind of like Disney loving nostalgia that just kind has thinks these things. Well, okay, maybe it's I don't know. Anyway, yeah. there's a weird kind of suspension of reason that we do to ourselves when we just don't want to face the truth. I guess that's I don't know. I mean, I think there's a sense in which you know. I talk about the man in the moon, you know, okay. like, or it's <laughs> made of cheese or to my kids. Right. Oh so, yeah. But, but it's obviously a, a, obviously fiction, right? You don't, you don't actually try to get them to believe in it. No, but they do for a while. Do they? <laughs> yeah. When they're little kids and then you're like, no, I, that was, uh, that's a joke. Like Santa Claus. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm not, Maybe I'm not as hardcore against it. I mean, I don't believe he actually exists, other than well, Saint Nicholas. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with people, you know, saying, "All right, you know, go to bed. Santa'll come." Sure. 
I mean, yeah. I'm not against, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Well, maybe I'm a little against that, but yeah, right, anyway. which is fine. You can be, but uh, thank you. I don't like Halloween either. So you know, I, no. I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a pietistic kind of uh, I leanings. Don't, I, guess. I don't like gory Halloween, but I don't mind dressing right. up and giving out candy and. I don't mind That's the right. I don't mind the dressing up, but I definitely don't like the gory stuff. I don't like how much people like Halloween. Yeah, that bothers me. You know that that they that that it's such a big party thing and the decorating and it's like it's bigger than Christmas and it's anti-family and so that and it's and there's all of the playing around with satanic stuff. All yeah. that bothers me. But and then on top of all that, I just I'm actually kind of against giving candy to children. Oh, um, yeah. In large quantities. I mean, we just don't live in a, I mean, we just don't live in a place where my grandchildren, if, if they were only getting candy, you know, at Halloween and at Easter, okay, pour it on. But I mean, candy is a daily, <laughs> at, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, sure. <laughs> well, this is why I'm so popular with my own people. Yeah. Um, well, you know. Major in the minors, man. No, there you just go. Kidding. Be, be angry all the time. That's my motto. Uh, what is so? What is increased in wisdom and stature? Yeah, that's so lovely that 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 he changes. I mean, this is a mystery, right? That that the divine has become a man, and he, right. We we talk about this a lot at Christmas time, right? That you know he nurses, that he needs his diaper changed. But here, I mean, I think this is even more shocking in a way that he learns, that he grows, that he changes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's astounding, right? I, that he's alive. What I find astounding is that he does this without sin. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, without ever getting a problem wrong. Like, so how often is it the case that our, we learn by, in a, by experience in the opposite? That is not by doing things right, but by doing things wrong. Well, he gets to see other people do stuff wrong. Um, I mean, I think he could learn from watching his brothers do stuff wrong. He could benefit from that. I think he can also, I mean, he can, I wouldn't, you know, the old saw about, can he, can he cut a board too short? I mean, I think, yes, I would say he could, I, I think he. You don't he think he measured get- twice and cut once? <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, I think he, I think he could learn. I think he could make errors uh, that he could learn from. That he could even potentially misunderstand directions that cause errors. Uh, you know, I think he could do that without moral failing. And I think that that's probably. I mean, I wouldn't be compl- dogmatic about that, but I think that's probably part of the human experience and part of growth. So, yeah, I don't, you know. Pick the wrong strategy for you know he could be in a cross country race and you know not understand how it works and start off sprinting or not be properly hydrated and end up losing the race mm. because he's you know what I mean and then go okay that was a mistake I did that the wrong way and I didn't understand what my coach said and then do better next time what that wouldn't that doesn't seem to me to violate in any way in fact to not have an experience like that almost seems well i mean i guess talk more about that because i think in our people's minds mostly they think in terms of his perfection as absolute perfection right and so i think they would hear what you just said and say 
so you're saying that he was sinful. Right. But I, because, I think this you know, if is that's a mistake re- or if that's not perfect, then it yeah. must be sin. So w- what are the, um, w- what's the spectrum that you kind of put that on in terms of gradations or shading to indicate this is not actual sin and he still rem- keeps his perfection, even though he learned by, in some cases, mistake? Or, or failure. Yeah. yeah. I, because I don't think failure is sin. It's not, I mean, it can't, I mean, of course, the problem is we don't make mistakes without sinning, right? Yeah. The reason, the reason <laughs> we don't I even understand the, how that we, we can't right. be tempted without sinning. Right. So I cut a board too short because I was goofing off and my dad was telling me what to do, right? <laughs> I wasn't really listening. Or I was daydreaming about, you know, curvy blondes when I was measuring. What I mean, I've got all sorts of ways I'm distracted by sin and not attentive to the task and not um, – mm-hmm. but, but I, at the same time, right? So, I mean, we don't know what it is to not sin. That, that really – that's really the issue, I think. So it's just impossible – really for us to really imagine it, but I think we need to strive toward it anyway. And I think that failure and mistakes in this fall, because he has to live in the fallen world. So even though he isn't fallen, right? So you could say, okay, he misunderstood what the coach said. I mean, the coach, the coach isn't perfect. So yeah. the coach doesn't give perfect instructions. And so some of it is, a, it's a misunderstanding, a miscommunication. Well, you know, it's not the moral fault of his attentiveness, but it mm-hmm. could be, it could be the fault of his immaturity that he just doesn't have the tools yet to process the information. Now, mm-hmm. the moral failure is on the coach to not recognize that and not to present it in a way that's appropriate, but mm-hmm. it still causes, you know, him to, him to fail or whatever. So uh, is to make so like applying this in reverse. Is that what happened here? That he misunderstood Barry and Joseph in some way. Yeah, or that they didn't. Or they they didn't communicate their intentions assumed, to leave. That they assumed. Yeah, they assumed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I. I mean, I think that's clear that they just assumed. They just expected him because of the other eleven years to just be right where he right where they thought he would be and thought he should be. And then they were, and then they were so confident in that that you know they can go an entire day without ever checking on him. Mm-hmm. You know, then they get to the camp that night and start looking around finally and can't find him, uh, and then panic ensues. Uh, so yeah, I think it was negligence on their part, but it's kind of understandable. Um, you know, why didn't he know? I mean, then that you know, then I suppose you could ask the question: Why didn't he know that's what they expected? Um, mm. Or did he know that that's what they expected? And in a sense, he didn't care yeah. because he had other things to do. And so, is this be- uh, so? Is this also kind of the beginning of you know the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? And yeah. All that? It, I mean, I think it's definitely the it's it's definitely the right. He he is. It's the separation of him from his mother and father. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the it is this kind of rite of passage you know, the, the foreshadowing or, or, you know, he's going to go now and be subordinate and he's going to grow, but we can already see that Mary and Joseph aren't sort of equal to the task and yeah. he's going to have to do this alone, which, I mean, we always knew and he always knew in a sense, but it also, right. You know, they're not equal to the task. The disciples aren't going to be equal to the task. I mean, nobody is equal to this except him. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to increase in favor with God. 
<laughs> you know, I uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's just that I think there's this there's this great piece by Chesterton um, about the oh, how does this go about the daisies. He says, um, maybe, maybe not every daisy has to be exactly the same, but God still has like the joy of a child. And he just keeps saying, do it again, mm-hmm. do it again. So like we, because, because we are jaundiced by sin and always kind of lusting for novelty, we mm-hmm. get bored with, we get bored with daisies, but, but like, and, and so, right, children don't, right? Children are always, do it again, do it again, do it again. Right. And uh, yeah, I know too. And, it's, uh, and, it, and, and then to our shame, we get bored with them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, but so I love this. Uh, this is a great little essay. So Chesterton's like, just like God has this joy in creation that like, you know, he can just say how many, I mean, for thousands of years, daisies have been coming up exactly the same, right? Thousands of them a day. And God just goes, do it again, do it again. He loves it every time. And there's this kind of amazing increasing joy uh, where you, you uh, because it's sort of, this is the abundance of, of who God is. So he can delight in his son, even though it's full, it can increase, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I... I mean, so in verse 40, you get, he grew, he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then in 52, you get, he increases in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Uh, what is it in, in this between? What's going on? Is there something that happens here in particular that indicates this increase in favor of God with God and man? I think it's his subordination to Mary and Joseph. Okay, All you know right. he's that's fair. He's o- think... yeah, he's obedient. Mm-hmm. What what were you thinking? Or well, I was gonna certainly connect it to that, but I just was curious. Was there anything else? Um, I mean, that there is a certain uh, aspect in which he is subordinating himself to his father in heaven by being among his father's things too. Yes, but it it is by subordination. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, right, and I think that's why it can increase. Like, what does God the Father love the most, mm-hmm. right, is the, is the obedience on the cross. And yeah. he's, he's, prog- he's progressing towards that. He is, right, what he's doing every day is fulfilling that. Mm-hmm. Because he has entered into time, uh, and, uh, you know, so there is a passage of time for him. So is there a sense where, you know, in applying this, um, just in terms of our Christian life, that uh, you can talk about how our Lord um, is is able to subordinate himself in the garden and on the cross because he has practiced it all these years. Oh, good one. And... And and so we are called to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man by practicing subordination, finding yeah. our places. I mean, is that uh, is that an application here that seeing where we fit in our father's house and among our father's things, whether that's yeah. our biological 
or adoptive fathers or our Father in heaven. Well, in some ways, to not even see a distinction between a those distinct, two. Yeah, sure. Okay. But, but yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good. I I love the way you're using this word subordinate. By the way, um, uh, as being like in place, which which means also you know to to not only to be a man under authority is also to have authority, mm-hmm. right? So we yeah, have our definitely. own subordinates, right? Yeah, so exactly. I mean to um, to take your order, to right. take orders, and to to be to be properly oriented. I mean, so this yep. has like like worship and uh, I really like orientation. I like this being ordered and oriented in the proper direction to the proper things. Yep. Um, things that are appropriate and proper and in the way that the scriptures talk about it, because it is very orderly then. And that's the whole point of this subordination. It is being in order. Yeah, yeah, which which is right, which is both which is both to be under and to be over simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in different, and then also uh, for a purpose, right? Yeah. So never, never just you know for uh, an aesthetic design or just you know, uh, be, but but actually you know to have a mission to accomplish. Yeah, it's not and, arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. These and are these relationships. Because I'm a man, or someone else is a woman, or. There right. is an order to things, and it's for a purpose, um, right. because this is how God designed it. it in other words, yeah. it, that our lives have design, not just yeah. not just the fact that our eye looks designed or that the cosmos looks designed. Life, how it is lived, has a design to it. There is no, yeah. there is nothing in that is created that doesn't have a design, and we are still created. God is still giving life. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that might, as they say, that might preach. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts, anything that we didn't get to on your list? Uh, let's see here. Well, we didn't really talk about this words of, I, I, so the new King James translates that the words of the words that Mary ponders in her heart as things, which is offensive to me. Um, and it's the same word that's used for word when uh, uh, above for the words of Jesus. Which so, I think she's she's contemplating words, not things. She's mm-hmm. contemplating what he said. Uh, I, anyway, um, I think there's some encouragement in that, right? I think I there's mean, some would you say matters? These matters. That's a possible translation <sighs> for remata. I know, but I don't like it. I, I don't think it's sayings. I mean, it's, it it can mean those other things, but I think in this context, it's mm-hmm. I, whatever. What if you want to make it that way? I suppose she contemplates what happened as well. Yeah, but, but I I think it really is about you know how what he said to her is what really pierces and what she has to live with and what she has to strive to understand. Yeah, that I must so, be among my father's things. Yeah, and I mean, of course, he does say that in a context amongst his father's things. So, I mean, that's not insignificant. But mm-hmm. I think I think to see Jesus actually working to learn, right? That it's not just handed to him because he's God, yeah. even though he's you know that according to his, right. So, so there's an um, that he subjects himself to imperfect teachers and, and parents, yeah, uh, and that those and that those parents and teachers actually are a blessing to him despite their imperfections. Yeah. Um, right. And then, uh, 
that he endorses authority and order, mm-hmm. right? Both of his parents and of the teachers is that those are all kinds of, I think, very encouraging things. Um, and then, and then to kind of think about the words of Jesus that have put us in our stations in life and how we would find, uh, you know, in that we find duty, right? I mean, we, this is how we know what sins to confess. We can consider our place in life according to the Ten Commandments. But also to see that to be placed in that order means to be placed with others who are also performing duties to us. Yeah. Right, that we have teachers, that we have parents, that God is providing for us through them. It's not. It's not just duty. There, there's also reception. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's um, my final thought. All right. Finally, you got <laughs> one. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Dave, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you on uh, Epiphany Two. All right. Thanks, Jason. <laughs>